I'm your host, Nick Dyson, the Scientific Director at Mass General Cancer Centre, and this is episode 43. In this next series of podcasts, we're very fortunate that we're going to be uh, talking with Ethel Pereira and with Tim Padera, who are co-authors of an exciting new paper that was published earlier this year in Science. And today, uh, Ethel Pereira, the postdoctoral fellow in radiation oncology at the Mass General Cancer Centre, is here to talk to me about her paper and about the um, work that she's done. So I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Uh, thank you very much for coming in. Ethel, I know that you uh, came from India originally, and I'm fascinated to hear about how you made that transition. I know you did your master's in India, um, but what brought you to the U.S.? Thank you, Nick. Thank you for inviting me to do this podcast for the MGH Cancer Center today. I did my bachelor's and my master's degree in uh, Mumbai uh, at St. Xavier's College, where I studied basic sciences and a degree in biomedical uh, science. And um, at the point when I was doing my master's degree, it was uh, mainly a teaching degree. And so I did not have access to resources or infrastructure to oh, research. Um, but I did do a minor project during my summer where I got to rotate in a hospital in Bombay. And um, I got really excited at some of the questions that, you know, the potential questions that clinicians were asking um, when they were treating cancer patients. And so at that point, I decided, well, maybe I should go overseas to pursue a career in research. Although at that point, I had no idea what re research meant until I actually came to the U.S., and you went to St. Jude's, I think. Yes. So I applied for graduate school in multiple institutions in the U.S. And I was admitted for a Ph.D. program at the University of Tennessee. Um, and uh, the University of Tennessee um, is affiliated with uh, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Um, and so when I got there to Memphis, Tennessee... It was really an eye-opening experience for me coming to the U.S. from Mumbai and uh, landing in Memphis, Tennessee, where there were not very many people there. Uh, but um, as I started, you know, going to graduate classes and taking oh, you classes, mean going from the large city to the small city. Yes, <laughs> yes, that was um, that was uh, very interesting. That was not my impression of what America was, but <laughs> um, and. Um, I did graduate school, yeah, so when I started doing classes and then we could rotate in St. Jude and that's where I um, uh, went to Linda Hendershot's lab uh, for a rotation and um, I really, really got excited about some of the questions her lab was asking. It was a very basic uh, biology lab where they were asking fundamental questions in cell biology and so I joined her lab to what, do my PhD program. What was the main focus of the lab? The main focus of Linda's lab was um, understanding how proteins fold in a cell and how proteins get degraded in a cell. Um, and she, one part of her lab was interested in understanding the unfolded protein response and ER stress pathway get, that gets activated in cells, undergoing stress as, as well as in cancer cells. And so Linda's lab was studying... Um, a major focus of our lab was looking at ER chaperones and how proteins fold, but I was the only person in the lab doing a cancer project in a cancer hospital. Mm. So it was a, it was challenging, but, um, you know, I learned a lot of fundamental molecular and cell biology in her lab. What uh, was the cancer relevance or the context that you were looking at? So in cancer cells, especially in solid tumours, um, cells undergo 
um, a lot of stress because, you know, as they are rapidly dividing, they have limiting nutrients and oxygen supply. And so they activate multiple stress pathways, including the UPR. And so what I was studying was how the UPR regulates um, several uh, proangiogenic factors. And one of them was looking at regulation of VEGF expression by the UPR and downstream factors that get activated in cancer cells. I see. I see. And then at the end of um, your training there, I would imagine then that uh, you had a decision to make as to whether you were going to go back to India or whether you wanted to carry on here. Absolutely. Um, and so um, in Linda's lab, I did a lot of uh, in vitro cell biology work. And as I said, that I was looking at regulation of VEGF expression. I got really interested in looking at tumor angiogenesis. And so when I was reading the literature and looking at papers, um, I was extremely interested about uh, in the research that was coming out of the Edwin Steele lab that was directed by Dr. Rakesh Jain. Um, and I read a lot of papers. And so I applied to their lab for right. a postdoctoral position thinking that, well, I could apply, you know, all the in vitro and molecular biology work that I had to studying actually in vivo tumor angiogenesis. And that's how um, that brought me to MGH. Ah, I see. And, and then when you came to uh, Tim's lab, did you have a clear idea of what you were going to do? Or, or was this a project that evolved after you arrived? Yeah, so when I um, joined the Steel Lab, I was under the mentorship of uh, Dr. Timothy Padero. Um, and Tim's lab uh, works on um, looking at lymphatic metastasis and lymph node metastasis. And when I came to the lab, this um, this project was um, we had to start it from scratch. So we we knew the question that was um, the the question that had been um, you know in the field in the lymphatic field for a long time was actually understanding what is the importance or what is the role of lymph node metastasis in solid tumors. Um, so as I was trying to formulate and uh, develop my project with Tim, we were trying trying to ask this clinically relevant question. Yes. Yeah, what, what were the two uh, areas of thought? You said that it was quite controversial. Exactly. So the controversy surrounding this question in the clinic was, um, you know, there's one school of thought that uh, some experts think that cancer cells in the lymph node um, actually is clinically inconsequential, so it doesn't give rise to distant metastasis. And there's another group of um, experts that believe, well, cancer cells that get to the lymph node could actually exit the lymph node to give rise to distant metastasis. But this has never been proven mm -hmm. experimentally using mouse models one way or the other. I see. And um, what was the strategy then that you thought that you would take? Yeah, so um, this question that we asked was actually being asked by multiple labs. Um, and it's just with the advances in microscopy and intravital imaging, as well as, you know, techniques that we have used in this paper using photoswitchable proteins, where we were actually able to use a strategy that allowed us to ask this question. So what we did was we actually used spontaneous lymphatic metastasis mouse models, and we used a photoswitchable protein. And the reason we did this was we actually had to find a way to tag cells that came to the lymph node from the primary tumor. Yes, it, the system you used seemed very clever. So that, as I understood it, you were exposing to a laser the lymph node specifically. And the idea then was that there was a protein that would 
react to this uh, light and would change its conformation. Correct. And so you, we had these cancer cells that were expressing dendro, which is a green fluorescent protein. Mm -hmm. And once these dendro two expressing cells metastasized from the primary tumor to the lymph node, we actually were able to photoconvert these cancer cells now in the lymph node from green fluorescents to red fluorescents. And that allowed us to actually trace these cells beyond if they could exit and move beyond the lymph node. Yes, it was a very clever system. Was it one that was already in the lab, or did you have to go find it? Yes, we we have not done any optogenetics or any photo switching <laughs> techniques in the lab, so um, it was quite challenging to get this experiment running. I struggled for a couple of years to actually make this uh, work in our lymphatic metastasis model. We had great collaborators um, um, in the Boston area that actually helped me engineer photodiodes that would actually enable me to shine this UV light on lymph nodes. How uh, deep into the tissue does the light penetrate? So the photodiode, uh, we were able to actually tune um, the power of light, so uh, it was uh, pretty strong. Uh, we did experiments to characterize this photoconversion uh, in the presence and absence of the skin. So I could do a skin flap surgery and expose the lymph node and then photoconvert it, as well as in the absence of surgery. And um, from our analysis on two-photon microscopy, what we were able to show that the cancer cells in the lymph node, we were able to get at least 70% photoconversion. Yes, that's amazing. Amazing uh, achievement to be able to do Thank that. Thank you. So, uh, Ethel, that's a really impressive experimental system that you've set up. Um, let's uh, take a break at this point, and uh, we'll come back with the next episode of the podcast, and uh, I'll ask you just to go through in detail the, the experiments that you did in your paper. Thank you. To read Ethel's recent article at Advances at the Mass General Cancer Centre, go to massgeneral.org slash cancer slash advances. Join me for episode 44, where I'll talk with Timothy Padera, the co-author of the science paper, to learn about how he became interested in health and science and to hear about the, his overall vision for his lab. <laughs>